0: Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com.
1: This is episode 346, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in Scotland.
0: That's right. And we're not in Scotland right now. In fact, we left just two days ago. So a lot of things are fresh, and we'll also be telling some stories about our travels there over the last, I don't know, 12 years or so.
1: Yeah, we've spent quite a bit of time in Scotland, and recently it has been cold. Right now we're actually in Spain. We flew across here yeah 2 days ago to get a bit of sun after the very cold English winter that we that we had while we were house sitting in a small village near Stowmarket in England. And so far it's going really well. It's so nice to be in the sun.
0: Yeah, but we uh, put Scotland in the middle of that trip. Originally, uh, my dad was going to come up. We're going to spend some time traveling with him and visiting some family around there. But unfortunately, uh, we ended up going to my grand's funeral on uh, his side of the family, then spent a week after that doing a bit of a memorial trip around the place. Yeah, so that uh, took up more time than was expected. There was a lot more family than uh, expected and it meant a delay in getting a podcast to you. So thanks for your patience. Uh, To get into more of a Scottish mood, here is uh, Busker playing the bagpipes, the Highland Pipes in Edinburgh. Cool. I guess most people don't know that I used to play the bagpipes when I was in high school and in my early twenties.
1: I really wish we had a recording of that. I mean, you've still got the bagpipes back in New Zealand, so maybe next time we're back, we should record you having a go.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be horrendous. I haven't played in I don't know almost ten years.
1: Yeah, I think when we first started traveling, you were thinking about bringing your chanter with you so you could practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought about bringing them to uh, to busk as well, and then when we decided we wouldn't busk, then. I decided not to bring them. So it's logical, you know, they're kind of 5 to 10 kilos worth of gear. It
1: definitely doesn't fit in with our one-bag philosophy.
0: (laughs) No, no. But I think it kind of encapsulates how much stuff we actually brought with us in the early days that we're considering bringing uh, an entirely separate bag with a musical instrument. Oh,
1: I can't believe how much stuff we brought with us back then. (laughs)
0: Cool. Well, let's have a talk about some of our favorite things to do while we're in my home country, I guess. Wow. My my parents' home country that when I grew up was referred to as home as uh Scotland.
1: Now before we get started, I'd just like to apologise. We are staying in an Airbnb in Spain and we've done our best to kind of soundproof things, but Spanish homes aren't necessarily the most soundproof, and you might hear some background noises. It's an apartment block, so there might be babies in the background, there are cars going past. Just think of it as part of the ambience.
0: <laughs> Hi, and play travel podcast bingo. <laughs> so my favourite thing to do in Scotland goes in with my overall theme of eating and drinking, and that is to drink whiskey.
1: Yeah, uh, Scottish whiskey is definitely the the real thing, right? I mean, you've got to remember that real whiskey is spelled without an E. And you've got to get it from Scotland.
0: Well, you know, whisky spell with an E shows that it's got Irish heritage. Mm-hmm. So it's triple distilled instead of double distilled most of the time. Um, but yeah, you've got your highlands and islands are the two big distinguishing features. So you've got like Islay out on the West Coast. It's one of the most famous areas to get whisky from. And then you've got all of the Speyside whiskies, which are the, the highland whiskies. Uh, alongside the banks of the River Spey, and we drove by a whole lot of them over the last few weeks. We were up in that area around Aberdeen to Inverness and north of there, so that area north of Inverness, and uh, you had just driving by distilleries all of the time, north and south of there, sorry, and sometimes staying just just a kilometre away from them.
1: We actually planned to stop and go and do some tastings at one of the distilleries, but unfortunately, the day that we planned to do it, it was closed. And we just never managed to fit it into the itinerary after that.
0: Even if you're not a whiskey fan, do raise a dram on Robbie Burns' night. Uh, Robbie Burns was Scotland's most famous poet, I think would be fair to say to this day. And he wrote uh, with a bit of Scots dialect in there. So we've got English, which most people speak. There's Gaelic, which is the kind of old language that they were speaking when the Romans invaded. And then there's also Scots, which is this, I don't know the right linguistic term, but it's a a Scottish version of English with its own dialect and slang and and grammar. And so, yeah, pretty cool.
1: Okay, let's move on to point number two, which is to visit Edinburgh. Edinburgh is one of my favourite cities. It's just so Awesome. I don't know what it is about it. I think it might be all of the stone buildings and the castle up on the hill and the Royal Mile, and then so many kind of hidden depths. There are lots of ghost tours and things like there's a Mary King's Close tour. It's a, a Close is basically a an alleyway, but it's covered over on all sides, so it's not open to the sky. It kind of goes down the hill, and uh, there are houses off it, but you know, really dark houses without windows. So nowhere you'd really like to live and uh, there are lots of yeah underground places you can visit, vaults, and I don't know, it's just so steeped in history.
0: And I'll probably get hate mail over this, but I'd say that Edinburgh is Scotland's cultural capital. It's where, we talked about Robbie Burns before, uh, Sir Walter Scott's also memorialised there. But you've not only got the castle and the, the tours around there, but you've also got things like the Edinburgh Festival And the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which happens before it. Uh, You've got Hogmanay, which Mm. is one of the biggest New Year's celebrations ever. And yeah, there's just so much that goes on. It's the capital and it's really a focal point for a lot of the the cultural life of the, the Lothians, which is that area, but also all of Scotland.
1: Remember when we tried to celebrate Hogmanay in Edinburgh? I think it was 2006. It was the first year we were away, and Janine and Ange came over to meet us. We went over to Prague for Christmas, and it was really cool. And in fact, Ange was just messaging us the other day about the restaurant that we went to for for Christmas dinner or Christmas lunch, which was a Gollum restaurant, which was really cool. But then we flew back into Edinburgh to celebrate New Year's, and it just, it rained. It it poured, there was wind, it was a huge storm, and all of the celebrations were, were called off. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that was the only year in the last kind of 20 years that it's been called off. So we were really lucky. Uh, No,
0: that's not what that means. (laughs)
1: Bad luck is lucky, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's a type of luck. Well, we were lucky when we walked the West Highland Way, which is a walk that leaves from the north of Glasgow and takes you all the way up to the foot of the highlands in Fort William. And that is, yeah, the West Highland Way. We went, we're going hiking in Scotland and we went to the outdoors store and we bought jackets and waterproofs and bag liners and all sorts of stuff. And then over the six, seven days that we walked, we had a heat wave. We had the warmest <laughs> weather that Scotland had seen for about five years. Yeah, that kind of turned everything on its head.
1: It was actually really nice. There were a couple of days where a little bit too warm for walking, but it was pretty good. And we met some really great people. We ended up doing it uh, camping. So you can just take a day bag and go from b to b and there's also a luggage service that you can use that takes your bags from, from place to place. But we were doing it on the cheap. So we bought a tent and some sleeping rolls and sleeping bags and, and did it like that. But it meant our bags were really heavy. So I'd really like to go back and do it again. But doing it with B&Bs, I think that would be a lot more pleasant.
0: <laughs> yeah. But either way, it's a beautiful way to see some of the Scottish countryside. It's a good walk for people that aren't super experienced. Uh, it's pretty well waymarked. And there's a lot of people that are doing it at the same time. So it's a really great way to get out, do some hiking, do some multi-day hiking, but do so in a way that there's a a good support network around.
1: Definitely. It's about 152 kilometers. So you can do it in as few as about five days. We did it in eight in the end. We did four days and we took a day off and then we did another three days, something like that.
0: When you're in Scotland, they talk about hiking or tramping. They talk about hill walking. So if you're in a bookstore and you're seeing something like "Hill Walks of Scotland," what they're really talking about is going for hikes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a little bit of uh, of local knowledge there to make sure you pick up the right book. Definitely.
1: Okay, let's move on to another eating and drinking item. Number four is eat haggis. Now this is Scotland's national dish, and you don't want to think too much about what's in it, but it's basically meat. We'll call it meat and oatmeal and spices all mixed together, cooked in a way we're not going to talk about, and then coming out tasting delicious. So it actually is pretty good, and it's worth trying. Uh, I'd recommend you get it somewhere reputable in a nice restaurant or something like that rather than in a, a dodgy diner. Yeah, I actually quite like it.
0: The traditional way to serve haggis is with neeps and tatties, so turnips and potatoes boiled, often with some peas on the side as well. So that's, you know, haggis, neeps and tatties and peas, <laughs> are kind of the the traditional thing that you'd see in a menu. But if you, uh, and you, you know, you kind of eat it a little bit like mince, mixing your meat up with your, your turnips, with your potatoes. But you can also get some really good haggis pies. Oh, yeah. Like a, a savoury pie, not a sweet pie. They can be really good as well.
1: Yeah. I remember when I was about 14 or 15, I was staying the night at a friend's house, and her parents were Scottish. And in the morning, I got up and went downstairs to have breakfast, and said, would you like some haggis? And I knew what haggis was, and I didn't really want it for breakfast. I would say that lunch or dinner would be a better time to have it. But you might see it on a Scottish breakfast. Usually, you're more likely to have black sausage or, or something like that. Black sausage. Lawn sausage or other types of sausage might see haggis on the menu as well.
0: Yeah, you know the other great breakfast food I love is the potato scone. Oh yeah, yeah, like a, a flat, almost like a pancake thing done with potato flour. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's my that's my breakfast treat.
1: It is quite nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, something to see now. Number five is to go and see the Falkirk Wheel. This is pretty awesome. It's the first time it was done anywhere in the world. It's a rotating boat lift that links two canals that are at different heights. So you can imagine uh, coming in at the bottom and then I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it's about maybe a 100 yards up. There's another canal that joins (laughs) where it is. But over time, these two canals have been separated by height. And so you drive your boat into the bottom of the lift, and it's a giant ferris wheel of sorts that carries a canal boat in it. And so as it turns, a boat in the the top part of the lock will come down, and the one in the bottom will go up, and then they undo the locks, and the two ships drive out again. It's quite beautiful as well as highly functional, and it's allowed them to reconnect up some of the canal network.
1: While Craig's been explaining this, he's been showing quite intricate gestures with his hands, and I hope
0: everyone enjoyed them.
1: <laughs> they were very explanatory. So I'm sorry you didn't get to see them, but yeah, they were they were great.
0: So you can uh, go into the car park there and just watch. Linda's written watch the action. I don't know if that's quite <laughs> right, but you can watch, watch the it, slow move. Watch it in operation, or uh, you can actually rent a canal boat. There's no licences needed for. Closed waterways, inland waterways in the UK, so you can rent a boat and uh, go into a day tour or a multi-day tour through the canal system. And if you did that, a couple of kilometres down the lock, uh, down the canal, you'd come to the Kelpies, which are these amazing statues.
1: Yeah, they're enormous. I think stainless steel statues of horses. Basically, in the past, uh, canal boats used to use horses or kelpies to tow them along through the canals. And now with motorised boats, it's no longer necessary. But uh, they've erected these two enormous statues that are really quite amazing, beautiful and really gorgeous when they're lit up at night and uh, really worth seeing. But if you have a canal boat or if you hire a canal boat, you can actually go between them, which is pretty cool.
0: So away from Falkirk and further north again, go and bag yourself a Munro. Yep, Scottish mountains over the height of three thousand feet are known as Munros. There was one scientist who went and documented them all, and you'll never guess what his name was.
1: I, I can't can't even begin to think.
0: No, but if you go and climb uh, all of the Munros. You know there's about two hundred and eighty of them. and I saw the, a the tweet.
1: number changes every so often because I wrote some notes about um Scotland about four or five years ago, and it was two hundred and eighty four then, but it's two hundred and eighty two now. So right. I'm not quite sure <laughs> why Origin it's will changed. Do
0: that. <laughs> will do that to you. But uh, I saw a tweet last week about two girls who had done all of them in 79 days. That's amazing. So they had obviously done multiple mountains over consecutive days. And I thought that was pretty awesome. I mean, that's some feat, isn't it? Like yeah. two two to three a day, I'm sure. They must have done four or five, you know, peaks some of the days.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, yeah, just a whole lot of work.
1: Well, when we saw your cousin Katie up in Scotland, she was talking about how she's been doing some Monroe bagging with her boyfriend. And they'd quite often do two or three in a day.
0: Yeah, I guess if you drive all that way, it makes sense just to walk the the whole day and, you know, get over each of those peaks.
1: Yeah. When we walked the West Highland Way, we almost bagged a Monroe by accident. (laughs) We were walking along and I was in the front. We were walking with two German friends who had met on the walk and we're still friends with now. And I was at the front and I saw an arrow that said, go straight ahead. And I missed the arrow. About one meter later, that said go left. And so I went straight ahead over the stile and up the hill. And so we're toiling up the hill, toiling, toiling, toiling. We got about, I must have been about halfway up the hill, and it was, you know, pretty big. It's a Monroe, it's over 3,000 feet. And uh, we met, uh, I think it was a guy and his father, so two people, and they were Monroe bagging. And they said, Oh, what are you guys doing? And we said, We're walking the West Highland Way. And they said, well, this isn't the West Highland Way. The West Highland Way is down there in the valley on the flat. (laughs) (laughs) And we sighed and scrambled back down the hill. (laughs) But luckily, there was a pub not too far away from the bottom of the hill. So we retired to there, had a beer, and then started our walk. And, of course, that was the one day, the really, really hot day, probably the hottest day in about three years in Scotland. So it was just typical luck.
0: Well, if you don't like the outdoors so much, then there's plenty to do in the indoors as well, which is a good thing because Scotland is true to its stereotype of being quite wet quite erratically. I said before that Edinburgh is probably the the city of culture for me, but Glasgow, I think, has the best museums. This is Scotland's other big city of Glasgow. There's the People's Palace and Kelvin Grove are the two galleries that uh, kind of stand out to me the most. And if I had to choose one, I'd push you towards Kelvin Grove. And that's not just because it bears the name of Linda's dad.
1: <laughs> Why is it in incorrect?
0: <laughs> well, Kelvin Grove is this amazing building to start with. It's, you know, it's one of the things that shows up on on postcards and uh, Scottish colouring books, which are (laughs) a bit in fashion at the moment. And inside, it's got a great selection of both natural history and art. And yeah, I just, I like that very much. I mean, the exhibitions are quite, I mean, there's obviously some permanence, but even they're being refreshed with the different things in their catalogue and there's plenty of uh, kid-friendly exhibits as well which uh, isn't so good for us unless we have the the nephews in tow.
1: I seem to remember last time we were there we enjoyed the kid-friendly areas got a little bit dressed up yeah so you know it's fine (laughs) fine for everyone good for all ages.
0: And if you like history but you don't like museums then uh, point number eight is go and see some of the amazing Standing Stones, Cairns, rocks, get some of that kind of Pictish history.
1: Yeah, I think this was my highlight of this most recent trip that we did with Craig's parents. We left from Aberdeen, we hired a car in Aberdeen and we drove up to Inverness and then we took part of the route of the North Coast 500, which I hadn't heard of before, but it's basically a route that goes all the way around the North Coast. It's 500 miles, you know, so it's really strange why they've called it the North Coast 500. I can't quite work it out. But um, yeah, it starts in Inverness and does a big circle. After doing a bit of research, we realized that our four or five days wasn't really enough time to do the whole route. So instead, what we did was started from Inverness, went up to Brora, where we stayed for two nights, and then headed up to uh, John O'Groats, which is one of the northernmost parts of the UK, and then did a circle back around down to Brora, and then we came back down a little bit, went across to the other side, visited Ullapool and uh, a couple of other places over there, and then made our way back more or less through Inverness and then south again. And on the way, we stopped at a whole bunch of different historical sites. Uh, just before Inverness was Culloden, which is where the famous um, battle was fought in, I think it was 1746. And this was the last battle ever fought on British soil. It's the the one that you might have seen in Outlander. That was part of the reason why we wanted to go. You know, we've been watching this show and really enjoying it. And we actually went to look for the standing stones that are featured in Outlander, but it turns out that they are not real. It's a, just a, it's just a model. (laughs) But we found one of the areas that it was modeled on. And it's been really cool because recently I've been reading a book called The Memory Code by Lynn Kelly. And uh, she talks about a theory for what these standing stones are about. She believes they were memory aids to help these non literate societies in remembering all of the information they needed to survive. So it was really fascinating to go and see all of these stones and cans and various other things with that kind of perspective in mind. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's kind of interesting to just dive into history anyway.
0: Definitely, we also saw a lot of castles on our way around. Um, At Dunrobin, we went to Dunrobin Castle. Mm -hmm. Going to do that a lot, aren't I? (laughs) Um, But the yeah, Dunrobin Castle, and it was okay. If you haven't been to any other Highland castles, it would be pretty interesting. But what was cool about it was the falconry show, Mm. which is on twice a day, like mid-morning and mid-afternoon. Over summer, though. And uh, that was worth the price of entry, going and and doing that show. So if you're going to go there, that's great. Uh, Castle of May, which is where the Queen Mother lived, right up the very, very north of Scotland, about as far away from London as you could get without leaving the main island of mm. uh, of Britain. Yeah, that was really pretty and picturesque, so worth the photo. And we also went to Stirling Castle as well, uh, which is the the most impressive definitely from its, its vantage point up on this big slating mountain. And, yeah, really quite a lot of castles. Yep. So if you're not into galleries, you can get around and uh, get a lot of history out and about.
1: If you've had enough of castles and you want to get out into nature again, you might want to head to Loch Ness and have a look for the Loch Ness monster. So this monster, you must have heard of her. She's famous. There were a lot of sightings of her in the 1930s. So we're not sure if it's not true. There might have been a basis in fact. But the fact is that there haven't been any confirmed sightings recently. So go and have a look for yourself. See if you can see her. Uh, There's a museum in the Loch Ness Township, but we found it a bit pricey when we were there. I'm not sure if the prices have come down. But yeah, just being beside the lake is is nice.
0: Absolutely. And while we're outside, let's mention the islands. Everything we've talked about so far has been on the mainland of Britain. But Scotland has an amazing set of islands all around it. There's places like Iona, the Holy Isle. There's Shetlands, there's Orkney, there's Skye, which is passable by bridge. You don't need to ferry over to Skye. And uh, the place that's entranced is more just north of O'Groats, We got so close, but we're still so far, is Skara Brae.
1: Yeah, so this is another kind of prehistoric settlement that's only recently been discovered, so it's in pretty good condition. It's just across the water in the Orkney Islands. So. In keeping with always having a thing on the list that we haven't done, the Scottish Islands is something that we haven't managed to get to yet, but it's definitely top of our list for next time we're back in the country.
0: Well, let's wrap up Scotland with uh, where we are again here in Spain. So we're here for, what, about 10 days? Mm -hmm. And then we jump back to the UK until November. We're doing a couple of house sits and a couple of conferences, generally kicking around and, and rounding up our time in the north.
1: And then it's heading southwards again. So we'll be in Australia, then back in New Zealand. Got a New Year's holiday planned with our friends. And then, well, we're not too sure. We're starting to plan 2018 already.
0: Yeah, it's going to be good. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but yeah, looking forward to it very, very much.
1: So we know that any list of the top 10 things to do in Scotland is going to be missing something. And, of course, this is our list. It's the things that we've liked to do, and we haven't done everything. So let us know what you think we've missed from this list. Send us an email, mail at com, Or you can send us a tweet or find us on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.